You're listening to a sermon recording from Southside Christian Church. The sermon you're about to listen to was delivered by Brooks Wilson on November 18, 2018. For more information about Southside, visit our website at southsidechristian.com. We're in a sermon series, as you mentioned, called Monsters Under the Bed. And I got to thinking about that. Maybe the most popular monsters among kids these days are pocket monsters, otherwise known as Pokemon. How many of you have ever heard of Pokemon? All right, quite a few of you. I've, it's been a few years since my kids have been involved with Pokemon, so this morning to kind of set up our scriptures and uh, to think through this topic, I've invited an expert in Pokemon to come and share with us. So come on up. This is Simon Lanter. Will you welcome him? What's up, man? There you go. Thank you. Is it working? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's awesome to stand in front of people, isn't it? Yeah. So, so just tell us a little bit. Like, who's your favorite Pokemon? Do you have a, a personal favorite? Not really. Uh, I like a lot of them. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. give us one. Like, what's what's one of your favorites? Um, it's called Rayquaza. Rayquaza. Yeah. Okay. Um, who who's like the most powerful Pokemon out there that you like? Everybody wants. Is there one like that? Well, usually, usually the mythical Pokemon. There's only like one of them in the world. Are like usually the strongest, and everybody wants them. But okay. Like usually they don't have, have owners, so. Okay. And I, I know you have to like play. You, you like f- uh, compete with other people yeah. with cards, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, what kind of a deck of cards are you putting together? Is there like a special? Well, right now I'm trying to make a fire-type deck. Okay. So, yeah, there's like ten different types that you can make. You can combine two different types in a deck, or you can make as many as you want. Okay. I have no idea what you're talking about right now, but <laughs> I know lots of people do. So here's what I did. I went on the Internet, and I looked up some weird facts about Pokemon. I'm going to give you a little quiz, okay, to see if you um, if you know these things or not. If you don't, it's okay, because these are like as weird as I could find. Okay. okay? Yeah. So... Uh, True or false, many Pokemon names include numbers within their names. True or false? This is a trick question, by the way. False. False? Okay. It's actually true, but it's Spanish. Oh, yeah. I heard that. Isn't that terrible? Okay, so take a look up here. See if you know. Do you know these names of any of these? Yeah. What are their names? Uh, Like the one right there is named Zapdos. Zapdos. Yeah. Okay. What else? That one's Articuno. Articuno. Uno. Yeah. And what else? That one's Moltres. Moltres. Perfect. All right. Mm -hmm. Nice job. We'll give you that one. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Number two, Pokemon are never based on real world animals. True or false? Never like real world animals. That's false. That is false. Okay. So for instance, this one up here is named, I think... Hollywag. Yep, that's right. And he's uh, fashioned after a tadpole. In fact, you can see the circular nature of his intestines right there on his chest. Things you needed to come to church to find out today. Okay, <laughs> number three, some Pokemon, true or false, get their names from famous fighters. True or false? This is also tricky. What do you think? False. False. Okay, well, let's take a look here. Do you know the name of that Pokemon? The name... Hitman, Hitmonchan or something like that. Hitmonchan, named after Jackie Chan. Oh, 
Who, frankly, is before your time, Mm -hmm. so that's okay. And then this one is called Hitman Lee. Yeah, Hitman Lee. Based on Bruce Lee, Lee, who also before your time. So, nevertheless. (laughs) Let me try one more, uh, maybe two more. Number four, Pikachu's name is a Japanese word meaning sparkle and squeaking. True or false? True? Yes, nice job. His name is a play on words between uh, a Japanese word meaning uh, called pika pika, which means sparkle, and choo choo, which means squeaking. Again, things you needed to know. Okay, last question. True or false? Simon's dad, Adam, is going to buy him $100 worth of Pokemon cards because he helped with the sermon today. True or false? True. All right. You heard it. Thank you, Simon. Testify, my brother, right here in church. You heard it. Now, I don't know much about Pokemon, but one thing I do know is that they start small and they evolve. They get bigger. That's the one thing that maybe I know. Now, I also know of another monster that starts small, and it's called inadequacy. Uh, It's something I think that can start in the shadow of your minds, just a small little thing that can grow and can evolve and can eventually even do some real damage to your personal identity. It usually begins with just a real small question. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I popular enough? Am I wealthy enough? Am I Christian enough? Has that, has that question ever sprung up in the back of your mind? We are in the final Sunday of a series. We've been exploring the, the ancient words of the prophet Haggai in the Old Testament. And in that little tiny book in the Old Testament, there are four sermons Haggai gives. And in each of those sermons, I think he identifies one, uh, what I'm calling a, a shadow monster that can lurk in our minds, that can wreak real havoc in our lives and in our faith. We've already seen a few of those Uh, We talked about procrastination and discouragement. Last week we talked about impurity. But today I want to conclude our look at Haggai by shining a light on the shadow of inadequacy. The monster that says to you, you're not. You're not sufficient. You're not capable. You're not enough. Uh, Why don't you open up to Haggai's book if you've got a Bible there in front of you. It's on page 770 in those brown Bibles in front of you. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion app. And let's, let's slay this final monster in the presence of Jesus together. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 20 now. says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Okay, this is the second sermon of the day for Haggai. Uh, this, as we saw last week, this is December 18th, 520 BC. Persia is the world's superpower. The people of God have returned to their homeland after six plus decades of being in exile, uh, first in Babylon, and then the occupying nation of Persia took over. Their land had been decimated, and now as they come back, it lies, uh, lies in ruins, but they begin to rebuild. 
first with their own homes and the city walls. And then Haggai calls them from their procrastination to rebuild the temple of God, to re-engage in God's mission. He calls them to that. And then the people, as they begin to rebuild, they get discouraged because what they're rebuilding, this temple is not what it once was. But Haggai calls them to hope. And then as they're building the temple, he calls out their sin because they were building something with holy hands or with unholy hands that was holy. And Haggai, he tells them harshly, whatever they do, whatever they offer there at the temple is defiled. And he addresses their sin and he calls them to repentance and to purity. And he preaches that sermon on December the 18th. And on the same day, God has something very personal to say to Zerubbabel, the governor of the people. Now, can you imagine the the pressure on this man's shoulders? Zerubbabel is a Persian-appointed governor over this people. It was his responsibility to rebuild this section of the empire, to manage the people, to maintain peace here in this corner of the vast Persian empire, which was no small thing because it was a very strategic piece of land. It was strategic for trade in the region and for military access. The the Persian government now is asking him to maintain control, to foster stability, to create goodwill in this area. That fell to Zerubbabel, but there is an even deeper story to his life. His name means the seed of Babylon, which probably indicates he was born in the captivity when the people were swept away into Babylon. He was an answered prayer of child born in the midst of exile and defeat and slavery. But even deeper than that, his father, Shealtiel, was an older son of one of the final kings of Judah who was decimated, King Jehoiachin. So Zerubbabel was the grandson of a king. He was in the line of David. Think about that. He was born to rule God's people as the key leader of God's mission to bless the whole world. He was born to represent God to his people and to all the nations. He was the seed of the woman, Genesis 3 talks about, that was eventually going to crush the head of the serpent. He was all of these things, but sin ruined it all. Now he's a puppet ruler over a discouraged migrant population in a trashed-out town. And every time somebody said his name, the seed of Babylon, he was reminded that he was born in the consequences of sin. Instead of being the triumphant seed of the woman that Genesis 3 talks about, that would crush the head of the serpent, he's the seed of, well, the seed of sin. Sin wrecked it all. And here we are again on December the 18th, 520 B.C., Haggai's first sermon of the day is to preach to the people that they are sinning. Sin is still wrecking it all. And I wonder if Zerubbabel heard that monster under his bed. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not early enough to lead God's people in this mission. You're just not enough. Do you hear that monster? Do you think he heard that? Do you think it evolved in him and grew in him? I mean, after all, he was of the right bloodline, but he was of the wrong circumstances. The question had to haunt him. It had to, it had to come to his mind as annoying as Pikachu's squeak, if you know what that is. Over and over again, the question had to haunt him. Can I do this? Can I be the person that these people need? Can, can I fulfill what God's calling me to do? Am I the right guy for jobs here? Am I for God's job here? Am I enough? Has that monstrous question ever echoed in the shadows of your mind? 
I think for me, for most of my life, that monster's lived under my bed one way or another. I don't really know why exactly. Maybe it's my perfectionistic tendencies gone awry, you know? Maybe... Maybe it has something to do with the celebrity culture that has developed in America, you know, where in America, especially even in the church, we are less about making Christian martyrs or servants today than we are about making Christian celebrities, which we do pretty well. And sometimes to be compared week in and week out with nearly flawless, larger-than-life megachurch pastors that fill stages and TV screens with charisma and wisdom and success. I don't know why I feel it, but I hear the questions. Brooks, are you enough? You're You're not bold enough. You're not visionary enough. You're not polished enough. You're not educated enough. You don't care enough. You're not sensitive enough. And the hardest part is when people confirm that. (laughs) And they say, you're not old enough, you're not experienced enough, you're not biblical enough. And a monster is unleashed that is better left under the bed. It's the monster called inadequacy. Do you know its roar? And maybe you've heard it too. Maybe it's different questions for you. Maybe it says to you, you're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not fit enough. Maybe it says to you, you're not patriotic enough or radical enough. You're not Republican enough or Democrat enough. You're not white enough or black enough or Hispanic enough. Or maybe it says, you're not social enough. You're not a butterfly enough. You're not out there with high energy and passion enough. Or maybe it says to you, you're not reading enough. You're not praying enough, loving enough, giving enough. You're not enough. Do you hear it? What if that shadow monster, though, what if it met God? I love these words. Psalm 97 says it this way. Yahweh reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. What if God, this God, met your inadequacy? What what would His light and His lightning illuminate in you? Might it show you that in Him you are enough? Could His presence in your life make you fully sufficient for everything He's called you to do? Is it possible that when you give your life fully to Jesus and become a part of this beautiful thing called the church, that you are something amazing? That you are a child of God. Listen to John 1. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. You are that. You are a fellow heir with Christ. Now, Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's what you are. You are free from sin and death, Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin 
and death. You are a conduit of Christ's life. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, Jesus said, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are God's workmanship. You are His poema created to do good. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, for we are God's handiwork, His his masterpiece. His poema is the Greek word, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's just the beginning. You are of eternal worth. Can I say a little something to the shadow monster of inadequacy that might be lurking under your bed this morning. Could I just say something to that monster? Echoing Haggai's message here at the end. Could I say it this way? God with you makes you more than enough. God with you makes you more than enough. If you can dare believe that, why don't you turn to somebody next to you and just tell them that this morning, would you? Go ahead. Now, you've got to be careful with this, okay? You've got to be careful because if you really realize this, if you lean into this, if you say this to that monster of inadequacy that might be lurking under your bed, it's going to shake some things up. I mean, if God with you really makes you more than enough, then it's going to be a threat to, for instance, the status quo. Let's dig into Haggai's message, verse 21 here. He says, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Okay, this is not a normal Sunday morning. This is a big deal. This is a violent disruption of the normal created order. Uh, Cataclysmic changes are going to signal God's action in the midst of this. Military strength, political stability, security is going to be violently changed. And notice, God is doing this very intentionally. He says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. This is not happenstance. This is not coincidence. This is God doing something amazing. God will rattle what's considered normal to bring His kingdom mission to bear. Wow, it's a He had to look out of a cracked window of his ruined house at this heap of rubble outside and he had to think normal looked impossible to change. It just looked impossible to change. I wonder if this age-old monster surfaced from under his bed and asked him, are you strong enough? Are Are you holy enough? Are you smart enough to change anything here? And maybe you felt that too when you look around at the normal It's normal, they say, that 68% of churched young people will walk away from the faith of Jesus five years after high school. Seven out of ten, nearly, will walk away from the faith. That's normal. It's normal, they say, that up to half of Christian men will regularly log on to pornographic websites. That's normal. And maybe the monster sneers at you. Wait a minute, are you wise enough? Are you motivated enough? Are you powerful enough to do anything about that? But, but to that, God smashes his fist through the heavens and the earth and he says, I am. 
He says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Do you hear it? He still says it. He says, I am going to shake up this broken, run-down, sin-marred creation. I am going to rescue people from sin. I am going to protect the widow and the fatherless. I am. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Because God with you makes you more than enough. But be careful because that will mess up the status quo. Things will not remain the same if that's true. Second, it'll threaten people in power. Again, Haggai says this in verse 21, tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. Now, who does that message threaten? people in power. Persia is put on notice, right? Detractors are set back on their heels. This monster of inadequacy gets hit in the head over and over and over again here by Haggai's message. Just as God shattered Egyptian power with his ten plagues and his exodus out of, uh, out of Egypt through the Red Sea, so now God is predicting an imminent disruption of the current ruling power. It's the same language, the same Hebrew words that God used to talk about overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. Or in the Song of Moses, it's the same word used to describe uh, God hurling Pharaoh's riders into the sea when he rescued his people. Pharaoh, or Persia in this case, is no longer a political threat when God's people are back on mission. Do you hear it? God with you makes you more than enough. Now imagine how this would have bolstered Zerubbabel. I mean, he was just a middle manager in a rubbish heap born to greatness 70 years too late. But God says, I'm going to tear through the powers and turn things upside down. How would that affect you? Because you too are a descendant of David. Maybe not in ancestry or DNA, but you are in Jesus Christ, Paul talks about. And so in that, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. You are in line of royalty. You are enough in Him. And that truth has the power to shake up this community. I know. I know we've, we've already had elections. We've elected leaders in our community and over our state and all of those things over the last few weeks and some of those leaders may help advance God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and frankly some of them maybe many of them will hinder that process but you are not helpless in the meantime you are a power to be reckoned with in Jesus name God is unleashing his new creation right here in the midst of the old dying world and you are that new creation and so old corrupt lying powers have an expiration date because God with you makes you more than enough. If that's true though you also have to understand it will be a threat to personal agendas. Look out how Haggai ends in verse 23. He says, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. God is lifting Zerubbabel up unilaterally and choosing him for his kingdom mission. Three times in one verse, it says, declares the Lord, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. He will do this. And the seed of Babylon 
will become the, the seed of the woman. And that will continue that seed that will strike down the serpent. His personal agenda in this moment was wrecked because God has chosen him. The choice is pictured here like a, a signet ring. Now, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, a signet ring was a, a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of ownership. It was often worn either around a, uh, your neck on a cord or on the finger of your right hand. It was a, a way to, to symbolize a, a royal decree or a way to legitimize a command from the king. See, often uh, communications were sealed with a piece of clay, soft clay, and they would push the, the signet ring into the clay to show that this comes from the king. Now, the problem is, the last time God's people had heard anything about a signet ring was Jeremiah the prophet, who had said to the last king of Judah, King Jehoiachin, uh, that, that he was like a signet ring that God was taking off of his finger and throwing away because of his sin. That's what they'd heard 70 years ago and nothing since. But now God has a new signet ring. Now God says to Zerubbabel, no, no, you are my chosen servant. Now you will be my authority in the world to bless the world. You hear it? God with you makes you more than enough. It was December 18th, 520 B.C. when these words rang out to the governor. But you know, it's probably worth asking, just honestly. Did this happen? These are some big words. Did did this happen? Not long after this, Zerubbabel dropped into obscurity. History is fairly silent about what became of him. We do know that he helped uh, reconstruct the the temple of God after the exile. One fellow in uh, the 2nd century B.C. exclaimed, Uh, How shall we magnify Zerubbabel? He was like a signet on the right hand, and so was Jeshua, the son of Josadak. In their days they built the house and raised the temple holy to the Lord, prepared for everlasting glory. He did that. Was that enough? He also led a renewal of faithfulness among God's people. That didn't win him any celebrity status, exactly. You know, he didn't uh, wasn't invited to go on the conference tour speaking or... um, you know, join Ellen on her talk show. He was faithful in his day to God's command. We do know he had a family. No doubt he raised them, modeling for them the way of God. He had a boy named Abahud. The family with time grew. Abahud became a father. Zerubbabel became a grandfather of someone named Eliakim. Eliakim had a boy named Atzor who had a boy later named Zadok who fathered Achim, who became a dad to Elihud, who fathered Eleazar, who was then the father of Matan, who was the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. God chose Zerubbabel to lead in his kingdom plan. He helped restart God's foibled, exiled people. And through him, our Lord and King Jesus came into the world and turned the world upside down. Amen? Can I say it this way? In God's hands, Zerubbabel was enough. And so are you. You can lead your family in the way of Jesus. You. 
You can pray for your coworker and, and introduce them to the grace of God Almighty. You can do that. You can uh, stand up for the poor and the powerless in Springfield and around the world. You are able to do that. You can love your neighbor as yourself. You can do that because in God's hands, you are enough. God with you makes you more than enough. We're thankful, Father, that we do not have to cower under the covers of our own insecurities, but because of the blessing of your spirit and the power of your presence, we can be your people in this time and in this place. Help us to be faithful, Father, in big things and small. I like Zerubbabel in his day. May we lead, may we, may we encourage, may we model with passion the way of Jesus. And in so doing, bring you glory, both now and forevermore. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray.